This is Susan B. Brock, Telluride Inside and Out, talking once again with Dr. Alan Safdie, a world-renowned internist and gastroenterologist with encyclopedic knowledge of mind-body wellness and preventative medicine. This summer in Telluride, Dr. Allen returns to the peaks to lead an intensive wellness retreat. Those retreats occur in July, August, and September, and they will all use an evidence-based scientific approach to health and longevity. Dr. Allen will be assisted by yoga and Pilates instructors, athletic trainers, dietitians, and chefs at the peaks. For further information on that, call 1-877-448-5416 or go to TellurideLongevityInstitute.org. This week, we are talking with Dr. Allen about five stomach systems you should never ignore and what they mean. Hi, Dr. Allen. Hi, Susan. I think this is a really important topic. Thanks for putting this on. I appreciate it. So, you're welcome. So, what are the five symptoms you should never ignore, and what do they mean? Let's okay. start with blood uh, in your stool. I, I think, you know, we're going to limit it to five today for time constraints. There's multiple ones people shouldn't ignore. And, again, you should always discuss any of this information with your doctors. So, blood in the stool, we often are really puzzled by it. Um, and blood may not look like blood. If one has a black and tarry bowel movement has not been taking Pepto-Bismol or something that would cause it to be black, Pepto-Bismol will cause it to be black, that could be coming from bleeding in the upper gastrointestinal tract, in the stomach, in the esophagus, or in the small intestine. Um, if it's bright red, we all take notice of that. Some people get worried and just assume it's a hemorrhoid. But maybe it's not a hemorrhoid. If there's... Um, Urgency associated with it, that's important. Uh, if it's black and tarry, that's important. Uh, if it's only on the toilet paper, that's important. So what are the things that can cause blood uh, in the stool? Uh, so black and tarry, we mentioned it could be an ulcer. Or it could be something in the upper gastrointestinal tract that's bleeding. Um, but bright red blood, the one thing people always think of, could it be cancer? Yes, it could be. It could be a low-lying cancer. Um, if blood's mixed in the stool or much harder to see, it could be a cancer up higher. But often that's not what it is. The most common are hemorrhoids, which are dilated. All they are is dilated blood vessels in the anal canal. Or fissures, which is a small tear. It's a painful area when you have a bowel movement. You'll have pain while having a bowel movement. And it's like a paper cut within that area. When the bowel movement comes out, it tears it open, and then there's blood associated with that. If there's urgency or frequency of bowel movements, there could be inflammation in the colon also. So it could be a form of inflammatory bowel disease. And people have heard of Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, but those can be associated with blood in there. Very large polyps. Most polyps don't bleed, unfortunately. Um, that's why it's important to get your screening colonoscopies and continue to have those on a regular basis, in my opinion, as long as one is very physically fit. And one has to discuss, you know, their physical fitness uh, versus the risk of the colonoscopy. But it's a great screening tool, and there's other screening tools other than that we can discuss in the future. Um, the other thing that can bleed are these little pockets or pouches, which are more of a westernized disease called diverticulosis. That may be relatively profuse rectal bleeding, come on all of a sudden. Um, these little pockets or pouches of blood vessel may break in one of those and you may have very profuse rectal bleeding, whereas hemorrhoids and fissures and tears down there may be just blood when you're having a bowel movement. Um, 
those cancers don't suddenly profusely bleed and stop, but diverticulosis can. Those come about often because of our sedentary lifestyle and our lack of fiber within the diet. Um, so I could almost predict by somebody's diet how much diverticulosis they would have depending upon their diet over the last 40 or 50 years. Okay, thank you. Um, one of the other symptoms is uh, difficulty swallowing. Talk about that, please. I mean, difficulty swallowing occurs to a lot of people. You'll say, oh, it's hard to get that pill down or the piece of bread down, um, and I really don't worry about that. Toast should go down fine. Bread may get stuck in people. Pills may get stuck, but look for a difference from your baseline. Um, if suddenly you notice, and I've had many patients, and they go, you know, over the past three to six months, it's harder to get down a piece of meat or down a piece of chicken, or pills suddenly are getting stuck as you're going down. We call that solid food dysphagia, meaning so liquids will go down fine, but solids won't. So there's something mechanical usually when it's solids only having a problem going down. And it can be anything as benign as what we call a Schottsky ring, which is just a little structure mm -hmm. ring of the esophagus, it's, which is a very benign condition and can be treated and dilated. And it can go all the way to a malignancy of the esophagus. Um, which we're seeing an increase in adenocarcinomas of esophagus because of reflux that people have. Um, when I trained many years ago, we didn't see many adenocarcinomas. Now we see a lot more because there's a lot more reflux-induced damage to the esophagus in what's called Barrett's esophagus. Uh, if one just has liquids, you know, more of a problem with liquids, it can be a motility abnormality um, where your esophagus just isn't contracting as well as it should be. Uh, other reasons that you can get a stricture or a narrowing in the esophagus could be just reflux. If you reflux long enough, you may get narrowing or inflammation and scarring of the esophagus. And again, that can be treated and dilated over time. So be cognizant of that. The, the last thing that I want to mention is what's called eosinophilic esophagitis. This is something that 20 years ago I hardly ever saw. Um, it's more of an allergic condition in the esophagus, and again, it prevents a lot of the solid foods from going down. It causes multiple areas of stricturing. It can be treated with medication and with dilatation. Uh, we use a topical steroid to treat it because it is an allergic reaction. Often it's difficult for us to tell what the allergic reaction is. So the bottom line for this is if you're having difficulty swallowing and it's new, make sure you discuss this with your physicians and it's hopefully a gastroenterologist they can appropriately treat this. Write down your symptoms. Is it with liquid? Is it with solids? How long has it been going on for? Um, and make sure you delineate all your symptomatology with your family doctor and your gastroenterologist. Okay. Uh, next up would be unexplained weight loss, especially if accompanied by abdominal pain. Yeah, I think that this is something that we forget. As, as one gets older... Often we may lose weight, or you know, I don't have that problem, but I mean, one loses weight. Um, the diet, you know, things might not taste as good as they have been. So their metabolism often slows down. Some so older people gain weight. Some actually aren't as interested in eating huge meals, especially at altitude. So, you know, those that live in Telluride or other towns that are 9,000 feet above sea level, just the increase in altitude does diminish appetite. But if you're starting to lose weight and it's unexplained, um, and it can be a variety of things. You can have malabsorption where you're not able to absorb all the calories. 
you can have maldigestion where you're not able to digest all the calories. And things people have heard of are celiac disease, which is an allergy to gluten in the diet. Um, there may be a stricture in the esophagus that people aren't realize it. I don't really realize that food's going down slowly, so I decrease. I'm chewing longer, so I'm not able to eat as much. They can have thyroid problems. Um, when there's associated um, discomfort, especially, we may often think of a malignancy uh, that's associated with that. And a lot of the malignancies associated with weight loss are very hard to delineate without some sort of imaging studies. You want to get laboratory studies. You want to get imaging studies. And the type of imaging studies, you're not going to see it on a plain film x-ray. So if you just go into a family doctor's office and they take a plain x-ray of your abdomen, very rarely are they going to see anything that's going to be helpful. Uh, we're talking about whether it be a CAT scan or an MRCP, which is an MRI of the pancreas. Um, but you know, they should, if you have unexplained weight loss, uh, it should be investigated. I mean, some of these are very easily treatable. Inflammatory bowel disease, overactive thyroid, celiac disease, peptic ulcer disease, you know, are easily treatable things. Um, but one wants to make sure that there's something not even more serious, like an underlying malignancy with this unexplained weight loss. Thank you. Now on to chronic or prolonged constipation especially if associated with pain. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people in the United States, this is such a common problem. Um, you know, we we really recommend 25 to 30 grams of dietary fiber per day, and I'd say on average, a lot of the patients I would see, unless they ate the wrapper at McDonald's uh, when they were consuming it, were getting almost no fiber. Um, you know, the, the bag was healthier than the substance that they were consuming. So lack of fiber, lack of exercise does cause chronic constipation. Um, so one has to look at diet. If you walk around chronically dehydrated, the colon is an absorptive organ. So if you're dehydrated, it's going to absorb fluid out of the stool, slow down transit time so you will be constipated, and the stool will be a lot harder. Um, our body is very good at adjusting for our fluid intake. But if you have chronic constipation, which is really prevalent in older adults, but if you're starting to have abdominal pain with this chronic constipation, could there be a malignancy that's causing that? Could there be, you know, some sort of narrowing of the gastrointestinal tract? And as we get older, we have to look at medications. A lot of medications that people consume, doctors don't sit down and discuss the potential side effect profiles of these medicines, but a lot of them are anticholinergic medicines, which can affect our brain as well as our gastrointestinal tract. And the two are intimately related more than most people realize, our brain and our GI tract. Um, but those medicines slow down transit time through the gastrointestinal tract. So a lot of medications one should take, you know, always sit down and ask the doctor, hey, I'm taking these medications. Could they be causing this? Let's go through my diet. Take in a log of what you're eating. The doctor can calculate roughly the amount of fiber uh, that you're taking. You know, do you have diabetes? Do you have a syndrome called irritable bowel syndrome, um, which when somebody says you have a disease called irritable bowel, it's not a disease. It's a syndrome. It's a constellation of symptoms, and it's multifactorial. People could have thyroid dysfunction causing that. Um, you know, it's just something we've not found the etiology for, so we call it a syndrome, a constellation of symptoms. So make sure you're aware of all these things. Make sure that you've had a recent colonoscopy. Um, 
or some sort of screening test of the colon to make sure there's no underlying structural problem within the colon also. Okay. And finally, um, I think the symptom would be sudden, intense abdominal pain. Yeah, I mean, that's this is one that's going to not be subtle. People are going to complain about this. Uh, although it's amazing how many people sit at home with diverticulitis, assuming, um, which is an infection of, you know, a diverticulum, a little pocket or pouch, um, because they just think, oh, it's something I ate or something else. Uh, so diverticulitis can be pain often on the left lower side, um, but it can be on the right side. And it can be a relatively serious infection in the diverticulum. They can even perforate. And those are those little pockets or pouches I mentioned before that one can get more of a sedentary lifestyle and not enough fiber. Uh, appendicitis, everybody knows about appendicitis, and everybody thinks, well, it's only right lower quadrant pain. You know, if you look at your abdomen at the right lower side, that's where eventually you may have discomfort. But often it starts with pain around your belly button. Uh, it doesn't start in the right lower quadrant. Some people don't get severe right lower quadrant pain. Um, maybe more moderate right lower quadrant pain with tenderness associated in that area. Um, but initially, the pain may be periumbilical around the belly button that one gets this. Um, other things, you know, I know that I've done this personally in working out in the gym, uh, is pulled my rectus muscle in my abdomen. But that I can tell because I can do a sit-up or a crunch, press on those muscles when they're contracted, and boy, are they tender at that point in time. Whereas if it's something below the muscle level, level when I'm doing a crunch, it that protects the internal organs, so I may not have tenderness there. But if one comes with severe acute onset pain, uh, right lower quadrant, periumbilical around the belly button, left lower quadrant, you know, make sure that you see somebody to make sure that it's not serious, that it's not diverticulitis, that it's not a serious infection. Um, such as appendicitis. Um, and there's other things that are more rare, mesenteric adenitis and other things that can occur. But these are very difficult for you to delineate the etiology at home. Um, so again, you know, be very aware of what the symptoms are. Give a good detailed history to your primary care physician or your gastroenterologist. When it started, how long it's been going on. Is it associated with fever or not? You know, have you lost your appetite with these so a good history is really valuable to your physicians. Um, but all, of all these five things, don't ignore any of them. Uh, these are five gastrointestinal symptoms you should never ignore. Um, so whether it be on its plane weight loss, sudden intense abdominal pain, difficulty swallowing, blood in your stool, or chronic or prolonged constipation, or you know, relatively acute constipation, don't ignore those symptoms. Talk to your physicians about it. Talk to your gastroenterologist. Thank you. This has been Susan Z. Brock talking with Dr. Alan Safdie. Um, Dr. Safdie once again returns to the peaks this summer. In July, August, and September, he will be leading evidence-based scientific approach to health and longevity through weekend-long intensives. At these events, he will be assisted by yoga and Pilates instructors, athletic trainers, dietitians, and chefs at the peaks. Call 877-448-5416 for further information or head to TellYourLongevityInstitute.org. Dr. Safdie, thanks so much for your time. 
Thank you, Susan. I really appreciate it. You're welcome.